0: Once again, to Zippy the Wonder Snail, we are so glad to be with you as we zip through news, culture, and the things that matter to you. I am here with my co-commissar, Jason. Hey, Jason.
1: Hey, Tim. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: Oh, I'm hanging in there. Doing just fine. It's good to
0: be here. We have lots to cover today. We've been planning this episode for a number of weeks gathering topics, but as we begin, we want to detour from our original agenda just because something really... Big And the sort of thing that feels like it's going to be in the history books in the future has been happening over the last few days, something really tragic. And that's the the fall of Afghanistan and, and all the impact that that's had on our world. Some of the imagery that I'm sure our listeners have seen have, has just been utterly heartbreaking. Watching people struggling to get out of there and trying to find a place of safety with the Taliban taking control in that country again. It's just really heartbreaking.
1: It is. It is. It's
0: sort of interesting when we were planning this episode, we planned to start with a segment on the Olympics and sort of wrapping that up. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But as we were talking about what we wanted to cover in that segment... We talked about the coming storm cloud of the winter games in Beijing and how it sort of felt like we'd had this, this relief from all the the struggles of the past year, the pandemic and, and the strife that we've had in the Olympics. And it felt like the Olympics ended... And now we've been thrown right back into the pressure cooker and and in a way that I think many of us weren't anticipating being the dominant story in August. To see what's happened and to think back to things that I've only read about in history. I wasn't alive, for example, at the fall of Saigon um, and some of those other similar events that have happened in the past. But reading about them and thinking about them as history over the years, and then to be witnessing it and to, to think back to nine eleven 11 and all the memories that all of us have that lived through that and see this sort of as a bookend to that that's tragic because we're sort of back where we started. It's, it's a lot to process.
1: Yeah, it really is. And um, there are some features of it that are interesting. The The Taliban apparently used Facebook and WhatsApp to communicate with one another to coordinate their efforts against the government and and so it's ironic you know that these companies we're having debates about uh the the major tech companies censoring people, and yet they couldn't censor the Taliban uh, so that'll be interesting to see uh, where the conversation goes from there and then I read another piece, Tim, that said uh, that the Taliban won't be able to hold the territory because it was sort of a propaganda victory and that they don't actually have the manpower to hold all the territory that they're currently possessing. But then again, if no one's there to take it away from them again, then that may not go anywhere. So we'll see what happens there.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. And that would uh, that would actually, more than likely, I guess someone else could come in that's even worse, but it'd be a wonderful answer to prayer if the Taliban cannot hold the land because um, obviously just how they're going to treat everyone. And certainly as we, we think about the church in Afghanistan, which isn't substantial in size, but God has been working through missionaries there and think about the people who will likely face trials for apostasy, which is a capital crime in in strict forms of Islam. It would be really great if they weren't in power for very long. There, there's so much developing, and it feels like trying to drink out of a fire hose And so we're going to want to come back in a few weeks when we have another episode of Zippy and go into some more of the details of how that might unfold. Think about um, how it looks on the world stage as people try to relate to the Taliban. Are they a legitimate governing authority now? Are they just a terrorist group that has control of a land? What does that look like? What does it look like with some of the, the different global organizations such as the International Monetary Fund and the funding that may be going to Afghanistan that was originally intended for the government that's now, for all intents and purposes, eliminated. What does all that look like? We need to talk about that more. But in just the few minutes that we're spending on this, uh, I think maybe a, a moment to pause and one, reflect on how we need to be praying for the people over there, but also to reflect on where comfort ultimately comes from and and i i wrote on this on open for business about how here we see a, a demonstration of all the power of the world in some sense the largest armies the most wealthy nations years of 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 collaboration and there's going to be lots of time to review where the mistakes were made who should have done what, what it should have looked like. Um, and our politicians are going to have lots of fun, unfortunately, litigating that out. But when it really boils down to it, it's a reminder, as we see so often on the world stage, that no matter how big and powerful we are, we can't right the world. And so what I mentioned in my piece on Open for Business this week was that this should serve as a reminder of where we need to turn to. And it's not a better government, it's not a better world governmental organization like the UN or NATO or what have you is recognizing what the psalmist asked so many years ago where does our help come from and it comes from the Lord and and I know a lot of people are shaken up this week i seeing some of these images have been shaken up but it's a a good reminder that he's the one that's ultimately going to right the world he's the one that's ultimately in control and whether we have the best of plans or the worst of plans and how we go about doing things On our own power, we're not going to get everything right, and things like this are going to happen. But it doesn't mean that God's abandoned us. It means that we're in that time where we await his return.
1: Yeah, I I will offer you a note of encouragement, Tim. I saw a local news story that the St. Louis area is going to accept 1,000 Afghan refugees. Um, And so what a wonderful opportunity that is to to show mercy, to show care, um, in the name of Christ for for us, we should get that opportunity as Christians. So,
0: absolutely,
1: I, I'm a, at least excited about that. They can come here and be safe and build a life and hopefully go forward. Uh, we missed as a government. We missed our opportunity in Rwanda. We sort of missed an opportunity in Bosnia and and other places around the world in the 90s, uh, but on any small level if we can pray and then we can show mercy in practical ways uh, let's just do that you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely uh, I'm encouraged by those who are, are quickly trying to mobilize to receive refugees and and my prayer is that the church shows great hospitality in this it's certainly what the Lord calls us to do and it's It's one of those things, if we're feeling helpless, and there is a sense of helplessness as you watch something happening halfway around the world, uh, watch this government collapse and these people that we know um, have harmed so many come back to power. But what you're pointing out is something very practical that I think we're going to be confronted with in the very near future, which is here we may be helpless at that global, political, uh, military level, but we aren't helpless when it comes to helping the individuals that are going to be coming to our country here in the United States and wherever else someone might be listening. We're going to probably see refugees from Afghanistan all around the world. And we have an opportunity to show the love of Christ in those
1: moments. And as long as we have an opportunity and as long as we have breath in our lungs, let's take it.
0: Absolutely. Um, The the situation is changing so quickly. Um, How the best way to get connected with organizations that may be doing that is still a little murky but as it becomes clearer I'm going to be going back and updating our show notes with some links to to help if you're interested in knowing how you can serve these image bearers of God people that God has made that are in a very desperate situation so check out our show notes we'll have links there and we'll keep praying and we'll keep hoping because we know our God is a God of hope and we know that he's not done, and that this is absolutely not the final word. Uh, we know that someday he will be the one that triumphantly takes over the governments of the world, that he will be the king on earth, that he is already in heaven. And that's 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 our hope.
1: I'm in, Pastor Tim.
0: Well, uh, we do have some other topics we want to talk about, and many of them seem pretty light in comparison to this, but... That's okay. Uh, We're going to turn to the Olympics and think about some of the hope in that because we are a people of hope. And and so, even in dark times, it's okay to be thinking about these things that that are hopeful in the world. So, let's go ahead and turn there.
1: Yeah, it was interesting the way things that happened at the very end of the Tokyo Games were really interesting. Uh, In the preliminary rounds of the women's volleyball competition, the United States' best player, Jordan Thompson, was injured. Uh, against Italy in the preliminary rounds. And she didn't play for the rest of the competition. I thought, okay, there's no way we're going to win a medal out of this. And not only did they win a medal, they won gold for the first time in the history of the United States indoor women's volleyball teams. And, again, what a coup for the head coach, Karch Karai, the greatest volleyball player in American history, having won three Olympic gold medals himself, two in the indoor and won when beach volleyball came to the Olympics in nineteen ninety-six. So and now he's sixty years old, and now he's passing on his greatness to the new generations. And so what a coup for them. It's just so impressive. And then at the very end of the of the track competition, the United States won the four by four hundred meter relay with women, and they absolutely blew him out of the water with a teenager from New Jersey named a thing mo. Uh, running the final leg, and she runs she runs that 400 meters like a sprinter. So when she got into her final kick in the last 200 or so, nobody was near her. She was the only one who ran um, underneath 49 seconds on her leg. It was absolutely incredible. Uh, no one's going to be catching her for a while. She was the gold medalist in the 800 meters, in fact. Just unbelievable performances right at the end, and it was stuff that I was watching and stuff that I really enjoyed. So.
0: I I was right along with you on those events. Those were some of my favorite moments of the Games, and it was kind of funny. It, It felt like normally watching through an Olympics, you get towards the end, you know it's almost the end, and there's sort of this melancholy that the Games are about to end and this idea that the whole world is watching something together and celebrating together is coming to an end. And it was a little harder to have that mentality when you had these great triumphs happening right as it wrapped up. It felt like an Olympics that got off to kind of a weird start. And of course, there was this huge shadow that we talked about a few weeks ago when it was coming up of COVID around it. It it felt like the Olympics came in with a dark cloud, but it ended just beautifully. It it made uh, you excited just to be a part of the Olympics, even if it's as a spectator on a television screen.
1: And the other wonderful thing is that Simone Biles, after having to withdraw from so many events early on in the Olympics because of the twisties and whatever brought that about, she returned for the balance beam competition and won a bronze medal. So, again, cementing her legacy as the greatest gymnast in American history and maybe of all time. I I strongly think that Simone will be back in four years because she's still so far ahead when she's at full health she's still so far ahead of everyone else in the world so that'll be very exciting and again you may have uh remembered that they contested in the pool in the swimming events they contested the 1500 meters for the first time among women and katie ledecky was the winner in the first 1500 meters at the olympics and it wasn't close she's the heavy favorite to win the 1500 in three years in Paris. Very exciting stuff with the Olympics. The United States won the medal count, of course, by a long way, and ended up winning the most gold medals, beating out China at the very end. So very exciting Olympics for the USA and just fun to watch and excited to know that because of the pandemic, we won't have to wait very long for the next summer game. Yeah, it's
0: kind of nice being closer to the next summer games and and really the games in general uh, with the Winter Olympics coming up in just a few months. For myself, the Winter Olympics is near and dear to my heart. I I love the Winter Olympics. The Summer Games are fun, and I always get wrapped up in them, but the Winter Olympics are the one I I always can't wait to have show up, so I'm excited about that.
1: Well, and I'll make the politically provocative comment. I I would wish that we would never uh, contest any... Games in China are hosted by China, but we're going to have the winter games in Beijing, barring some disaster, Um and hopefully they go off without a hitch uh, in spite of COVID and in spite of any variants that we may be dealing with. Uh, but they're going to face some some human rights questions, of course, as well they should, Uh but it will be fun, and the winter games will be great, uh, and we only have to wait six months, so that's very good and very exciting.
0: Yeah. You do touch on something that's a little disturbing in the midst of the Olympic spirit, that you have this this opportunity for the world to come together. But twice in just over a decade, we'll have the Olympic Games taking place in perhaps one of the most repressive countries in the world, and one that has internment camps that are doing untold horrors at the moment. And then in the midst of that, we also, of course, had the Games in Russia in, in 2014. So it's a little disturbing to think that while we're celebrating unity and the achievements of people around the world and how the nations can come together peacefully to do something, there's some real dark clouds uh, behind that. And that that was a nice thing about being in Tokyo that will be absent when we head over across the ocean to Beijing in a few months.
1: Yeah, there is no, there is no unity between good and evil, or what unity could light have with darkness, as the scriptures say. So, they're going to the Chinese are going to face some criticism for their human rights abuses um, and also their just the oppressiveness of their government in general, uh, and rightly so. But it, but the International Olympic Committee has never been completely free of those criticisms or challenges. So and and here it continues. So that is sort of the cloud that's hanging over uh, the games whether the winter or the summer. So we'll see what happens, and we'll see if there's any boycotts there could be. Uh, We'll see. We don't know.
0: Well, we do bid Tokyo farewell and our Olympic discussion's here on Zippy for a few months, but we will be back on that in just a few months. In the meantime, though, just like athletes prepare for the Olympics, so too we should be preparing spiritually. All of us want to know the answers to those things. And and one of the ways we can do that is finding people who are faithfully teaching God's Word, interacting with it, and helping us to grow. And And that's what I love about our first sponsor of the show today, Faith Tree Grow. It's a brand new service from faithtree.com that brings together a number of different churches and ministries and their devotionals and sermons and puts them in one place alongside faith related content from Open for Business and Zippy the Wonder Snail. You can find it all on a single page. You can go there throughout the week and be encouraged with both short, few minute long devotionals and longer things. It's a great way to grow because while the body is important and athletic achievements are wonderful. What's all the more important is that we're growing spiritually, that we're growing to be more like God has called us to be, and spending some time with wise people, pointing us towards God's Word is a
1: great way to do that. One of the wonderful things about all the different Faith Tree services and components is the way that you're making it easier for people to access spiritual content. And so I think that's a wonderful thing, and trying to remove as many barriers to growing spiritually as you possibly can. So... Check it out. It's
0: a wonderful thing. Faith Tree Grow. Yeah, Faith Tree Grow at grow.faithtree.com. Uh, stop by after the podcast today. Well, we've been on our Summer of Mini Series here on Zippy the Wonder Snail, and I am going through Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which we've talked about on a few episodes, including the last one. And Jason has been working his way through part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe watching WandaVision. I need to give a spoiler warning, friends. If you have not yet seen WandaVision, we're going to talk about some things that are going to give away a decent part of the plot. We're trying not to give everything away, so if you're not convinced you should watch it, go ahead and keep listening. I think it'll help make the case that you should. But if you already know you're going to watch it, you might skip the rest of this segment and go on to the next chapter of this podcast. Well, Jace made it to the end, or is it the beginning? We need to talk about that.
1: I made it to the end, and it made it to the end of me. Wow. That certainly packed an emotional punch there at the end, Tim. Uh, We we both said we were going to revisit what happened at the very end, the final scene, with what's going on with the kids. I I still don't know what's going on there. Is that an alternate Wanda? Is that another bad person somehow trapping the kids? I don't know. That was wild. But talk about an emotional punch. And I said before we went on the air— I had no emotional attachment to these characters whatsoever. And then Vision hits us with, what is grief but love persevering? Wow. And and I I think what you were saying before we went on the air about uh, it talking grief being a universal human experience so that if if we didn't have some sort of attachment to the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we could still hook ourselves into this story uh, and it being centered on grief. And we've talked about before with WandaVision how... It's sort of the beginning of it is a love letter to all the sitcoms of the past. So they set that up beautifully, and they weaved it together with uh, the loss and the grief that Wanda has gone through in her life. I don't want to spoil too much there, but that was great. I I commend it to you if you haven't seen it. It's on Disney+. Plus For those who have Disney+, Plus. probably going to watch it again, to be honest. That was really powerful stuff, Um, and, and it was fun. It was fun, but it would also was meaningful and catches your attention and makes you think and makes you wonder about the purpose of life. And so what a great show that they did.
0: I am so glad you enjoyed it. And and so much of what you said is exactly my experience with it, too. Um, I I started watching it because I loved the Dick Van Dyke show. And I seen some Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and, and and had a general sense of things, but I had not actually watched at that point any of the different movies that had included Wanda or Vision. So I, I knew who they were, but I really didn't have any attachment to them either. I just wanted to see what they did interacting with the Dick Van Dyke show and the Brady Bunch and, and what what have you, but became just really attached to the characters. And as you said, as it builds, it packs such an emotional punch, and I think it, it shows the brilliance of when you, you fuse well-done comedy with profoundly deep human emotions, because it, it captures us in two different ways, and, and it lets us let our guard down, because I didn't go into WandaVision expecting a show that was going to really examine and pull apart the concept of grief. I thought I was going to watch simply some stuff that was funny and some superheroes. Really, the thing that it boils down to, I think, is that here in the midst of this show that has those things, it goes to one of the most profoundly human experiences, because you really can't have a life for more than a few years without experiencing grief. All of us experience grief. All of us lose loved ones, and to see the show reach that point, it it feels like it did what the best sci-fi does, which is it took things that were out of this world and hard to to experience, things that, in fact, we won't experience. I don't think any of us will ever find ourselves living inside a witch-controlled simulation of television. But it took that to examine something profoundly human. And both Vision, who isn't a human being, and Wanda, who is, go through the things that we go through. And by... Putting it into that not quite normal framework, it allows us to really watch it and experience it and be taken in by it. And then to contemplate what we do with it. Because isn't that the challenge? Isn't that the challenge that we have in this life as we await God making things better? As we await that He's going to make all things new, we have to figure out what, what do we do in a world in which we do have grief? What do we do in a world where oftentimes to experience love is to spend a great deal of our life grieving. I heard those words from Vision and, and thought, for example, of the loss of my grandfather uh, 20 years ago this year. And so there's now more of my life that I've lived since he was alive than when he was alive. So a lot of my life has been that grief as love persevering in that context. And yet, what a wonderful gift it was from God to have that time with him. And, and I think we get a little bit of that picture in WandaVision. Uh something that we can all kind of relate to and, and need distilled so we can process through in our minds.
1: And I know that you and I have experienced grief and you know I lost my father more than thirty years ago and I've lost a lot of friends in the intervening time, uh, even suddenly as I lost my father suddenly. And it didn't cause me to react emotionally in the way that I thought because you warned me, you said, Oh, you're gonna cry when you watch this show And I didn't cry, but the thing was, sitting there with what happened to Wanda and seeing her grief on the screen, I didn't cry, but on the inside, I did cry. Um, And I did grieve, and I did feel the things that she felt. So in a sense, it was more powerful. Because sometimes when we release emotion, it can be cathartic, and we feel better. And I I realized when I watch it, this is not going to be a thing that I feel something and then I feel better. I'm just going to have to sit with this sorrow, even though it's fictional. uh, These characters are fictional. uh, It was not fictional for me. And so I know you sort of felt the same way too, that it, it brought you back into previous grief and, and made you think about it and made you go through those feelings again. So it was, it was worth it and it was really good television in that sense that it, It was real, and it was human, and it was authentic. So I appreciated that about it.
0: Yes. uh, To me, I I wish more television felt the permission to do, more storytelling in general today felt the permission to do what I think they did with WandaVision, because it seems like oftentimes when you're in a, a setting that's supposed to be more comedic, it's all about getting cheap laughs, and drama often has to be to the extreme. And what I think what's beautiful about WandaVision is, is it's, it's profoundly ordinary. Uh, it, yes, there's the supernatural stuff going around in it, but the, the core driver of the story is about as ordinary as you can get. And in that, to me, it's all the more powerful because it, it's exactly what normal people go through. Yes, she has powers we don't have, but even in that, it gives us an opportunity to contemplate what would we do if we had such powers. And that I wrote a piece on this right after the show ended. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. But I think it's an interesting question. If we had the powers that Wanda has, would we resist the temptation to do what Wanda tries to do? Or would we go and do the exact same thing? Because the temptation to somehow find a way to fix grief is awfully strong. And even if we know we can't ultimately, and I suspect Wanda knows she can't genuinely fix it, the, the temptation to try to fix it is incredibly powerful. Even for us mere mortals that don't have a lot of powers, to somehow make things right and that whole process that when we lose loved ones, how many times does someone die? And then you're just sure you're going to run into them again. And of course, as Christians, you and I believe we will. We we have hope that we will someday. But that moment that you feel like the next time you walk into that house or into that space that you're going to see that person again. I feel like WandaVision is in some sense an exploration of what happens if, other than that, that hunch inside of us that somehow that that death didn't really happen. What if we actually could try to somehow pretend at a much larger level that it didn't and somehow cover it up? What would we do?
1: And there were those side characters that informed Wanda and they said, flat out, your grief is tormenting us. And I just, I just remember thinking, wow, you know, her grief is so strong that she's, she's poisoning the dreams of everyone that she's controlling, you know, and that was fascinating. And yet, at the same time, there's that other side where you say, well, you can't force someone's grief to be over. You can't set a time limit on how long that grief will go. But then again, there are positive ways to handle grief, and there are negative ways to handle grief that can can cause problems for ourselves and cause problems for those we love. So it was so multifaceted in that way, and, and you just felt for her once you— Knew the scope of what was going on, but it was profoundly normal, like you've been saying, and worth watching again, and worth considering in its different facets.
0: Well, I'd love, Jason, to talk about one more thing. We, we discussed it before the show, but we're out of time on this segment, and that's the ship of Theseus. It's such an interesting bit of Greek philosophy that gets woven into the last episode of WandaVision. I love that scene, and I think it's something really interesting as we think about the resurrection. We'll save that for next time. That's a little cliffhanger just like WandaVision itself likes to play with us. Well, we've been talking about the profoundly normal and the profoundly supernatural that we see in WandaVision, which kind of fuses the two together using the the highly unusual superhero world to talk about normal things. Now we're going to talk about things that are mind-bogglingly large, but incredibly ordinary, and that would come to the topic of politics in our nation's capital. There is some huge numbers being tossed around on these bills that are going through Congress and Jason what do you make of what's going on?
1: It's really interesting. There's a bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill, uh, which is over $1 trillion. Uh, and they got, I think they got 18 Republican votes to, to bring it to a vote uh, and to get it through the Senate. And and then there is a budget reconciliation bill, which is $3.5 trillion. And what's really interesting is it's going to be If the progressives are able to set aside their pride and support the bipartisan bill in the hope of getting some goodies in the other in the budget reconciliation bill Uh, and large portions of that bill are being drafted by Bernie Sanders. So the progressives will get something in the bigger budget bill, which is three and a half trillion dollars. and then the bipartisan bill is just over a trillion. But even putting that together, uh, that's still less than some of the budgets that took place during the Bush years, uh, well over four trillion. Uh, granted, there were wars in the middle of that. And we're trying to wrap up wars uh, that we fought since 2001. But I think there's a strong possibility that both of those bills could pass. So that'll be interesting Uh It's whether the progressives could could cooperate with the moderates in the Democratic caucus and whether how much Republican support can they get for the overall budget bill, three and a half trillion.
0: It'll be interesting to see. I I kind of hope that as that larger bill is worked on, that it doesn't turn into an opportunity to stuff everything into it that didn't fall into the infrastructure bill. Regardless of whether those things are good or not, what I'll say, and trying to walk carefully, as you said, as a pastor, but something that that really bothers me with our system right now is the complete disregard for collaboration that we've seen in D.C. for quite a while now. To me, one of the exciting things about this infrastructure bill is you have this coalition of moderate Democrats and Republicans that at least somewhat want to see something that's collaborative. The highlight, perhaps, of legislation in D.C. in a long time for me is a bill like this, where there was some effort to actually create a bill that was genuinely bipartisan, and usually by bipartisan we mean some Republican voted for a Democratic bill, or some Democrat voted for a Republican bill. This is something different. I, I hope that the budget reconciliation bill doesn't sort of wipe that away. We really need to figure out some ways as a society to work, to work together a little bit more, and and. The one bill makes me excited about that. The other one is still vague enough; I I want to reserve judgment. It just makes me a little nervous with some of the rhetoric. So we'll see.
1: Yeah, if they get, if they get the lower number, if if they can get, get the lower the the number on the budget bill a little bit lower than three and a half trillion, you could see some bipartisan support.
0: Reading some of the the pieces covering the negotiations, it, it sounds like there could be something stuck in the works with the moderate Democrats, the the so-called blue dog Democrats, which I thought had pretty much disappeared, but apparently are, are still a thing, saying they want the infrastructure bill to go first, and then they'll consider the reconciliation bill because they don't want it to get lost in that much bigger bill that makes them uncomfortable in its size. And, and talking about this in preparation for the show, you mentioned that you think that some of this leaking argument between these moderate Democrats and the more progressive wing of the party isn't really speaking towards the likelihood either bill is going to pass, but rather is sort of a, a staged presentation so that everyone can go back to their constituents and say they fought hard and they got the best deal they possibly could. Could you maybe talk about that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I do. I do think it's a little bit of kabuki theater because I don't think There's that much distance between the moderates and the progressives on this. And I think what Pelosi is going to do is give the progressives room to make some noise. And they're going to push for something more. And then she's going to say no. And then they're going to acquiesce. Like, they want more, but they know they're not going to get more. so They're going to go ahead and support both bills. And it's in Pelosi's interest to let them make noise and to sort of play act at slamming the door on the progressives so that she can look moderate, for one thing, which Nancy always needs, um, especially with respect to the Republicans. And then the progressives, because they need to be elected as well, they need to go back to their activist members and voters and say, we pushed as hard as we could, but this is this is all we could get. We fought, but, you know, it's it's the work of governing, so that's what we're going to do. And so I don't think there's as much difference in reality between the moderates and the progressives. I think the progressives are going to get pretty much everything that they want, and they're going to play act it trying to get more.
0: That sounds like as good a theory as I've heard on what's going on here. So we'll certainly see more in the coming weeks as we this develops, and we'll certainly return to this topic on Zippy as we get a better sense of exactly what is in that 35 a trillion dollar budget reconciliation bill there's a lot of details to still be hashed out and as they become clear we can continue to have a discussion on it
1: yep it sounds good it'll be interesting most definitely it's always that
0: Jason, you know, one of the things that I think can help us in politically uncertain times, and I don't know anyone who really feels certain about politics these days, is to spend more time in God's word. Because we can spend a lot of time online reading about politics. We can talk to our friends. We can go on social media. We can do all this. And generally speaking, especially if we turn on cable news, we just feel more unsettled. But When we turn to God's word, we see, you know what? This world's been messed up throughout its history ever since Adam and Eve. But God is there in that messed up world, and I love that when when we come together and study God's Word as we do at the Faith Tree Men's Bible Study. And if you're listening right now and you're not in a Bible study, and you'd like to be in a good men's Bible study with thought-provoking conversation that applies God's Word to today, but also seeks to understand its original context and understand more of the world of the Bible and how the Bible different passages relate to one another, and so on. The Faith Tree Men's Bible Study, which is online, you can come to it from anywhere in the world, is a great way to do that, isn't it, Jason?
1: That is right. I've been a member of it for a year and a half now, I think, Tim, and it is a wonderfully encouraging group of men, and we study the Word every Thursday, and we'd love to have you there, guys, if you're out there looking for something, so do it. Please
0: go to faithtreecf.org. You can click on the link on the front page to join. Come join us. We'd love to to share in God's word with you. Returning to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6. Jason, you said you had some new insights that really struck you as you were reading through it the other day.
1: When you go to verses 9 to 11 in that 1 Corinthians 6, that would qualify as what you might say a warning passage. And it's very strongly worded. It's a list of people who will not be entering the kingdom of heaven. And so I knew, you know, I wasn't feeling particularly guilty, but I've been familiar with some of these sins that are listed in the past. And so I wanted to pray over it with God, and I wanted to talk to God when I felt strong, you know, when I felt strong and confident, because sometimes we feel tempted by things and we fall into things when uh, when we're not confident. And if we talk to God and we bring those challenges to God before uh, temptation gets too far, then we can do OK. So I was there in First Corinthians 6 and I I read the verses and I and I waited and I sat there and I thought this is not uh, this is not a warning passage in the traditional sense um, because he says all these people are not going to be inheriting the kingdom of God. And so I said to the Lord, well, what does it mean to inherit you? Because the kingdom of God is functionally God. It's where God reigns. And when we are with God, we're in his presence. So I said to him, what would it mean to inherit you? And I, I sat there in a quiet, in the quiet, and I just listened. I want to inherit you. I want to know what that means. And he He showed me or he told me that the people who enter the kingdom of heaven are not the people who never struggle with any of these things. The people who enter the kingdom of heaven are those who turn back. We're not the ones who have never made a mistake. There are very, very few people, to put it mildly, who have never committed a sin in their lives. Um, Most of us... uh, all of us in this world right now have experienced sin and so we've experienced a need for forgiveness and what characterizes those who go to God who who receive God who will receive heaven at the end of their lives are those who repent not those who are perfect um, because all have all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and When, again, when John the Baptist arrived, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, which what he meant was, turn around. And Jesus also preached repentance. You know, so this is not, you know, clean yourself up and try to be perfect. It is, can you repent? Do you know how to recognize, okay, I've gone the wrong way. Jesus is calling me to something better. Let me turn around. Even in the parable of the prodigal son, I'm getting off the text here a little bit, but in the parable, parable of the prodigal son, the younger son squanders his inheritance with wild living, depending on your translation. And he's not the one who's characterized by perfection. He's characterized by the one who came to his senses and came to his father and said, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Make me like one of your servants. And what does the father do? But he welcomes him back as a son and has a party. And that's why Jesus ends with, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who do not need to repent. And I think that that's what we can go with. There's always forgiveness, and it's always available, and there's mercy in Christ, because he's already died on the cross, and it's still fresh for us. That's what I would leave us with.
0: I feel like, really, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6 sums up what you've been saying. Paul is summing up after listing out all the sins, and he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And I, I love, if you really think about what he's saying there, it, it ties in exactly with what you said about coming to our senses. It's not about having everything perfectly fixed up. The The prodigal coming back, we're not told... That he straightened his life out perfectly because realistically, anyone who's gone off and, and lived as he has, when we, whatever sins ensnare us, we don't typically just magically clean up our lives and everything's gone. But what do we see? If we come to our senses, if we turn to Jesus, we have a different status and God celebrates us and he works through us to bring us closer and closer to his kingdom that you were talking about inheriting. And, and that's what we see here, I think but you were washed, you were sanctified. The The difference, and the Corinthians of all churches, we know very clearly don't have everything f- fixed up. They're not perfect yet. The key difference is an orientation towards the Lord rather than continuing to run from the Lord. And what an amazing thing it is that, that our God doesn't call us to somehow make everything right that we've messed up, but rather calls us to turn to him and he makes everything right. And we get to be in this wonderful process where even while we're under construction, it's our God who cares enough about us to rebuild us and to make us what we should be.
1: And remember what, remember what the son says. He says, I will arise and go to my father. So what brings him back, what calls him back is his relationship to his father. And so whatever we will be, if we succeed, we will be the children of the Father. We are not known as sinners, and we are not known as sinners when we return. We are known as children of the Father. What great love that God has for us that we should be called children of God, and so we are in St. John's first letter. And that's the ground of our hope is recognizing who we're called to be even if we haven't been living in such a way that accords with that identity, that identity is still there. Even though there's a you know profound debates in Christendom about exactly what does it mean to say the finished work of Christ, it still starts with what has Christ done for us? And that's the basis of who we are are in Christ and who we will be in Christ is what he's already done. So that is that is a wonderful basis for hope that pushes us forward to greater sanctification and hopefully all the way to glory.
0: What a wonderful thing to hope for and what a wonderful note to end Zippy tonight on. We've talked about some pretty heavy things tonight, but I hope everyone listening recognizes either you are following Jesus and you can hear these words that Paul says and what we've been talking about and feel the Father's love already, or if you aren't yet a believer, that that you hear this and recognize that wherever you are, when whatever you are you have done in life, that that is an invitation that God gives to you as well. Uh, that we all can can come in and experience that washing as we repent and turn to to our Lord Jesus. So, I, I hope that as we end tonight on that, that that encourages each and every one of you. What a wonderful thing! What a wonderful thing that then we have the fellowship as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, united around the globe by that love of our Heavenly Father. And that's what drives us here at Zippy. We love being two Christian guys coming together, talking about things, and talking about it in the context that we have this shared fellowship and sharing it with all of you as well. So I hope that you'll come back and join us again next time as we do that once again. So we think about all the things going on in our world and try to come to the comfort and the assurance we have in our God. If this has been encouraging to you, please consider sharing it. We'd love for you to help get the word out and get more people listening to Zippy zipping along right here with us. And of course, if you want to make sure you never miss an opportunity to zip, subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We're on all the major ones. We're there, whether you're on a Android phone, on an iOS device, on Mac, Windows, on passenger pigeon well maybe not but we're everywhere that you want to be just like the best credit card so please do join us once again next time we'll see you then